Hey there, we're live from the NASDAQ market side on this hot summer night while the guys here are getting ready behind me. Here's what's coming up on the show. Elon Musk has been trolling the Tesla shorts. But watch out, Elon. Mike Coe has a way to short the stock for no cost at all. Plus, the Chartmaster says there's one stock that looks so bad, it's good. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins right now. And let's start with the bank stock showing signs of life today before selling off into the close. And check out this chart of the XLF, the financials ETF, down 5% this year, lagging behind the broader markets. Let's get into the money right now. And, Dan, you think this uh, move is a sign of more pain to come? Yeah, I think it's absolutely disastrous price action. I mean, if you thought that the last two weeks in the XLF and the bank stocks was bad heading into what I think the pundit class, I think, uh, you know, Wall Street analysts were really positive about this catalyst, like saying that this was going to save them the underperformance this year. Um, but investors kept on selling into it, selling into it. You got this pop on the opening. It seemed kind of weird to me um, that it wasn't able to hold. And the fact that they closed on the lows is just really bad. And so if you want to extrapolate it a little bit to what's going on with potentially some of the data we're seeing in the economy um, globally here in the U.S., I have to think that the banks is the, just the one sector that is very levered to a growing U.S. economy. They obviously benefit from that tax cut that went through in the late last year. So to me, I think the price action is disastrous. And, it, and it's a global thing, right, if you look at the MSI All Country World Bank Index. It's a full-fledged topping out formation. So it's not only U.S. and it's also this. This is where the dream was. You were supposed to be long industrials and financials post-election. Disaster and adjusted for beta. It's getting worse. And now you're getting the pile on. People are abandoning it. Right. When they just start to abandon it and people start to look at the charts for the first time, it's not the beginning of the end. It's the beginning of the beginning. Right. So, Dan, what are you, which stock yeah, are you so looking I, at? I, listen, I'm looking at Morgan Stanley right now. I'm not picking on Morgan Stanley any worse than, let's say, any other of them. We know that the CCAR results last night had some, some language that wasn't great for Morgan and Goldman. But I want to look at Morgan Stanley because if you look at the one-year chart, I think there's room back to the 44 level. That is the 52-week low that maybe it finds some support. I want to think about their Q2 earnings. I think all of these stocks, if they cannot rally into the Q2 earnings, it's going to be the week of July 13th, then I think we're going to see new 52-week lows on all of them. So today in Morgan Stanley, if you think that the stock's going to continue to trade down into that earnings print, you want to look out to July expiration, which is going to catch that earnings. Today when the stock was trading at 47.90, you could buy the July 48.44 put spread, paying $1.10 for that, buying one of the July 48 puts for $1.35, and selling one of the July 44 puts at a quarter. Um, your max risk is that $1.10. You can make up to $2.90 between... Um, uh, 47, uh, 46.90 and down to 44. Um, worst case scenario, you're risking, you know, a little less than 2% of the stock price to press a short and play for a catalyst back to those lows. So to me, I like the risk reward in this trade. Um, it's almost a three to one potential payout. Yeah, you know, one of the things that you look at when you see a trade like this is obviously you're trying to look at what that payout is. The other thing is how much extrinsic premium am I spending? That's what really decays away. And in this case, you're dealing with a put spread that's actually slightly in the money already. So spending that dollar ten, but it's really about what sixty cents in the money at least when you look at that. So that's really fifty cents worth of extrinsic premium. That's the part that can decay between now and expiration. So that really isn't a lot to spend. You're about a little over one percent of the current stock price. Right, and of course it's Goldman Sachs too. Meaning this particular area of the financial sector is especially weak, even more so than regional banks, and even more so than J.P. Morgan or City. Problem. For Morgan Stanley and Goldman sure. Sachs, and both and, look equally problematic. Sure. And it's not just the U.S., it's global banks.
All right, let's move on here. Home builders on shaky ground falling for a second straight quarter, down 10% for the year. Many of the biggest names in the sector plunging the last three months. Toll Brothers and Lennar tanking 14 and 10% respectively, with DR Horton down 6%. Pulte is down 2%, but Carter here says one of these names has a chart that's so bad, it's actually good. So, Chartmaster, why don't you head over to the right, plasma? Let's see. Yeah, meaning the, it, its weakness is either an opportunity or a trap. I mean, the financials look like they're going to get as weak as the home builders have gotten. Um, home builders as an ETF down uh, 12 and a half, 13 percent for the year. I thought I'd single out toll. Um, toll has just done something that it's never done in the history of the data going back to uh, 1986, 32 years. It's declined at the end of today, seven months in a row. Never happened. And it's had a peak to trough decline. You can see the number right here of 32.3 percent compared to Home building as a group down 12 plus. So a threefold um, wipeout. At some point, you can be contrarian, and I would think say it's so bad it's good. Here is the toll chart over the past 10 years since the 09 low. And what I want to just show you is an overbought or oversold condition by putting in these sort of arrows. And what uh, it tries to depict here is that a great undershoot of the line or an overshoot, a mean reversion trade has been quite profitable. And I'm going to make the bet that this 32, 33 percent decline is due for some sort of throwback. Let's look at the chart a different way. So here's the chart without the moving average. Now, the notion of support, ready, putting the line, we have sold off to support. And you could say, yes, we've broken support. Support is not a plywood board or a concrete floor. It's a mattress. So. Indeed, we are well into the mattress. At some point, you sink down to the point where you find support. I think we've reached that point by dropping 32-plus percent. So the thinking here is that toll, look at this. This is its relative performance to its sector, consumer discretion. We have gone right to the prior low, and we just started to turn up. If I put the lines in here, you can see this. We're trading right at the prior low, and I'm going to make the bet that it's actually just going to start to turn here. Um, a very important circumstance, and actually the long-term chart shows you that we are literally on the prior low, and I think we're going to hold. So I want to make a bet that it's so bad it's good. What's the trade, Mike? Uh, so this is an interesting situation. Sets up really well for options. I'm looking out to September, which is going to capture their earnings, which they're going to be reporting in July. Specifically, I was looking at the September 3842 call spread. You could spend a dollar seventy-five for the September 38 calls. When I was looking at this earlier today, with the stock trading around 37 and a half at the time, sell the SEP 42 calls at 55. Net net, you're spending a dollar twenty. The idea is that if it is so bad, it's good. Uh, you have about 10% upside is what I'm shooting for between now and September expiration. But if it is so bad that it isn't, I'm only risking $1.20. So, you know, that's not a whole lot, basically, and giving myself some time to expiration. That's I started looking at this space earlier in the week. Lennar had these results. The stock was up 6 7% that morning. Um, the CEO was talking about, okay, so we know what the headwinds are. The headwinds are rising interest rates. Uh, you know, maybe but, not. But, uh, right. Well, right. <laughs> but, but, you know, and, and, but offset maybe by some tight supply, wage increase, that, you know, stuff like that. 
got me thinking about it. All the charts look the same, right? And they're down a lot. I think you do the same thing in XHB. You can pick one of the names or in ITB particular, ITB, which is more just the home builders. Um, I like Mike's put spread. I like the risk reward, not too different than the one that I was looking at um, in Morgan Stanley. Um, but here's the thing. I don't think this group acted particularly well this week, just like the banks didn't. There was some good news. And, you know, Lennar is lower than where it was, you know, I think at the midpoint. Well, see, well that's, that's the thing, right? So the ITB is down about 20 from yeah. the peak. The being down, again, of 50% more than that. That's the one reason I singled it out. It, it is so can, bad. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Though Mel mentioned the ITB. That is predominantly an equal weighted right. ETF of only home builders. builders okay. Yeah. The XHB that we talk about a lot has a lot of home improvement names, has some and suppliers. Does that one look better? And do you no, like it? No, although that one had a bigger throwback because you got a pop in Lowe's recently and Home yeah. Depot, which are big weights in the XHB. So I wanted to single out the ITB for the discussion, but then zero in on toll, which has really been just straight down with no bounce. Yeah, I mean, XHB, it's specifically when you're talking about home. Depot is not as, as so bad as good. It's it's good. I mean, it has been good, right? So it's, very, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, and lows too, obviously. So I mean, I think this is really, you know, have we reached a bottom? You're trying to catch the falling knife. That's a tricky bit. So you're looking for some signal that you might have it. And obviously, with options, we get an opportunity to make that bet and limit our risk while we're doing Did it. Did you think that the price action was bad this week? To, to Dan's point. Uh, I think the fact that it ended up flat, we still have yet to see earnings from toll. But obviously, you know, Lennar held on to its gains. So we got that pop on Monday, and it held those gains through the end of the week. So for me, I mean, given how the price action was in everything else, because you have to figure that weighs on every single stock, right. I actually thought it held up okay. Okay. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com while you're there. You know, it's hot outside. But our super cool newsletter will give you the chills. What are you waiting for? Here's what's coming up next what Mike Coe is saying about Tesla's stock run. He'll tell us how he's putting on the brakes for almost nothing at all. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. Welcome back to Options Action. Exactly eight years ago, Tesla went public, and since then, it's become one of the most controversial stocks in the market. Phil LeBeau's got the details from Chicago. Hi, Phil. And, Melissa, the biggest controversy right now is whether or not when Tesla releases its production numbers for the second quarter, did it hit a production rate for the Model 3 of 5,000 per week? Elon Musk says, look, those who are doubting his company are in for a rude awakening. The company's target is 5,000. The analysts, they're all over the place. Some as low as 3,800, some who believe that they will hit that rate. This is what gives some people a little bit of pause. It is a tent outside of the Tesla factory in Fremont, California. It was erected over the last couple of weeks. Elon Musk is using it as essentially a third assembly line. So they're trying to crank out the Model 3s. This worries some people in the auto industry who say, that's not how you do vehicle assembly. But we'll see what the numbers are when they report them next week. And again, Elon Musk, as you take a look at shares of Tesla, he was uh, warning one analyst, Goldman Sachs uh, analyst, earlier this week, you're in for a rude awakening if you doubt that we are going to hit that production rate. Melissa? Yep, and that analyst has had a sell rating on the stock for a long time. Yeah. Uh, Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau joining us from Chicago. Well, if you're one of the Tesla haters out there, Mike has got a way to bet against the stock for no cost at all. Please tell us, Mike. Sure. You know, many years ago, they used to say you didn't want to buy a car that was built on a Monday. I don't think I want to buy a car that was built in a tent, but that's just me. <laughs> Um, so we're taking a look at trading a one by two put spread on Tesla. This is a strategy I've talked about before, and it's one I really like in this name. 
And really, the reason that we're doing that, there's a couple reasons. One of them is that options premiums are really high. We were taking a look at where the at the money August straddle closed. It was $60, so buying the call and the put, that's quite expensive. The other thing is we've obviously got a lot of catalysts, including those production numbers, which could propel the stock in one direction or another. And a final thing, which just is a structural situation that has to do with the fact that the stock has a very big short interest, that short interest can actually create a possible level of downside support. And that's important when you're gonna put on a strategy like this. So we can see essentially where the stock is. The high was right above 380. And we can see obviously we had this swoon down here. I think a move to that magnitude to the downside is somewhat unlikely. So let's take a look at the structure that we're, we're doing here. I was looking out to August. When I was looking at these today, you could spend about $21 to buy one August 330 put. You could then sell two of the 295 puts against it for $10.5 each. So net-net, you're actually not laying out any premium to put this trade on. And the idea here is that obviously you want the stock to go down below that 330 strike that you're long. You're going to get the most profits if it gets to 295. Those are going to start drifting off those profits as the stock continues lower. And actually, net-net, you would effectively get long the stock at 265 if it drops down because you're a short two puts. So as we take a look at this, this is a strategy I've used several times. I actually had one that expired last week. These options are actually gonna decay a little bit faster than the one that you're long. So in the intermediate period, if the stock doesn't go anywhere, you might actually see some profits here as well. What do you think of this trade? So for the reasons Mike laid out, it's, Tesla's kind of the perfect stock to buy one and sell to, and especially when you have these catalysts because these near-term options are pumped, it's really hard to own them. Um, you know, so I think Mike's ranges are good. I'll let, I'll let Carter talk to that. You know, the only thing I'll say is, is that, you know, they may hit that 5,000 a week target and then they may miss it next quarter. You know, so right. like this is one of those, and then they also said they don't need to raise capital. And then they may. So, you know what I mean? So, so this is one of those ones. Mike just said, worst case scenario, you get long at 265. It'd be a scenario where you better be prepared to have losses or maybe buy it down there. I think they will need to raise capital, but I still think the fact that there's a 30, you know, 30% of the float is short in this, in this thing. So if this thing does drop, call it 80 bucks from here, right? Down to call it 270-ish or something like that. You are going to see some people covering those shorts for sure. And in fact, actually when the stock was trading around that level, it was about 22% shorted. So we have some sense of who has shorted it since and who would be buying it if you made a move back down to those levels. Sort of put, this year's low is 250, right? It happened in April. Just to put that level in perspective, eight years ago it comes out and it's dormant, nobody cares. And then it was March of 2013, it was 25 bucks, and March of 2014 it was 250. It went up tenfold in that one year period. Wow and hit 250 in 2014, and essentially, that's where we are now. We hit a low this year of 250, meaning all of the action was an, an aggressive repricing of an asset, and that's the fascinating nature of markets. They were ahead of all of this, right? And now for the past five years, it's been dormant. The question is, this dormancy, is this the pause before the next important uplink, or is essentially, was it all priced in, in that one year tenfold increase, and essentially been 250, 320, we're bouncing around. That's my hunch, is that we're just stuck, and that the stock is fair price, and it, and it just belongs here as it continues to grow. If, can you walk through the chart? Because oftentimes you would put up a chart and you would say that this, this period of dormancy is actually building a long base. And well, the longer the base is, right, right you the higher have, the right, breakout. So, or, or, or so the more authority uh, to the level, the more authoritative the resolution. I mean, there's a big debate. Um, but the debate is still on. I don't think the debate is going to be resolved. Yeah, I mean, one quick thing. I, 
Elon really goes after the people who are making short bets in this stock. We're not taking an outright short bet. I wouldn't take that kind of risk in this thing. The other thing is, I love what he's doing, and I love the products, those cars that he's building. The real issue is that I think he's going to need a capital raise. I think people are going to get shaken out of this thing once or twice more before it's all said and done. And, you know, that's essentially what we're doing here. We're not saying the stock's going to zero, uh, but I could see a check here. Sure. I was on the 101 from SFO into San Francisco on How Tuesday, and I saw two trucks loaded with Model 3s heading up to San Francisco. All those venture capital guys, they all need their Model 3s. Dude. Oh, wow. What do they put? About eight or nine of those things on there? He needs, what, 5,000 a week? We need a few more trucks. It wasn't, a, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a caravan. Sorry. <laughs> we'll get the delivery numbers next week. We'll see. For more on Tesla's performance, uh, since its IPO eight years ago, you can head over to CNBC.com. Up next, Nike shares going parallel parabolic today, but that's bad news for one of our traders. We will explain why. Much more options action right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. It's time to take a look back at some of our open trades. Just last week, Mike said Nike's run was overdone going into earnings. More often than not, the stock moves 4% or less, and then a few times it moves a lot. So the structure I'm taking a look at is selling the July 75 76 call spread. I could collect $1.65 for selling the 75 calls, pay $1.25 to cover that upside. The chances that it gets above that higher strike, it's going to be, you know, less than, uh, less than 40%, actually, only 33% that it gets to that higher strike. Well, Nike soared, hitting a fresh all-time high, now up nearly 8% since the time of the trade. So, Mike, what are you doing now if, with Nike? If you follow us on Twitter, and you should, you'll know that actually I said to cover this trade today. Here's an interesting tidbit. I took a look back over the last 10 years, and if you take a look, whenever the stock has gapped up the day after earnings, only twice in 10 years has the stock ended up below its pre-earnings level. And those two times were September 2008, December 2008. Those are not trades you want to basically stay short in. Right in principle, a stock gets cheaper when it gaps up. It gets more expensive when it gaps down, meaning it's a reset. Something was said, and you go with it. Yeah, I would just say that this doesn't feel like a short squeeze. This feels like people have not been in the story and are piling it in. And barring some sort of trade situation or some global market sell-off, this thing is going to stay above 70, in my opinion. Would you like to say, I mean, would you look to put a trade on that's positive? I would rather be positive than short. That's, that's definitely the case. I mean, look, we, we have positive news coming out of China, and it's fairly clear, you know, it, always with the benefit of hindsight. We saw the price action going in. We were looking at these high multiples saying, 30 times earnings, that's ridiculous. Right. Well, no, it wasn't. Somebody obviously had a good sense of what was going on overseas, and now we're learning. All right. Earlier this month, Dan said shares of Philip Morris were about to light up. We know that this is one of these stocks where it had fundamental headwinds, but also this issue of rising rates over the last year or so. So that 5.5% dividend with the stock down here is starting to look kind of interesting. When the stock was trading around 79.10, you get the July uh, 80, 87.5 call spread that cost you $1.50 that breaks even at 81.5 to the upside. And they did. The stock rallying more than 4% since the trade. So, Dan, what are you doing with PM now? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's really still consolidating. I'll let Carter speak to that. But the trade's working out here. Options prices were pretty cheap. The stock is cheap. It moved into the money as far as the trade's concerned here, just below $81. And, again, one of the things I was targeting was their earnings, which are going to come before July expiration. So here's what I do over the next week. If this thing floats up um, a little bit, you may want to take profits when you have a double on half the position because you're, then you're going to be riding this into an event who knows what's going to um, happen, or oftentimes I'll kind of roll that um, up a little bit if I'm expecting a sharper pop. I mean, Dan did a so bad it's good trade. Yeah. It was down 40% <laughs> from its peak, and 
you know what, at some point, even if Philip Morris going out of business, you have rallies even in downtrends. You made money. He's steady, Eddie's did well this week too, like utilities, not necessarily in the same category, but I mean, I, that's sort of the way I look at it. You know, there's little downside from here. Yeah, and I think in a, in a rate environment where we keep saying that everyone was so convinced they were going much higher earlier in the year, and now people are like, ah, they're stuck at best, five and a half percent dividend yield. In this not bad. Up next, we got your tweets and the final call from the options pits. Welcome back to Options Action. It's time to take your tweets. The first tweet is from Brian, who asks, how would you play a PayPal breakout to 90? Dan. Yeah, good question, Brian. I mean, this one has kind of been in this, this range now for most of this year. It acts pretty well, though. And so if you're going to target a breakout, you may want to target an event like an earnings event. And so it should report before July expiration. I might consider selling a downside put and buying an upside call, kind of doing it for even money. We call that a risk reversal. And just like we were talking about with Mike's one by two, if you're going to sell a downside put, you better be prepared to buy the stock at that level. So you may want to consider maybe selling an 80 put and buying something like um, an 87 and a half call or something like that. Do that for just not a whole heck of a lot of premium. I like that trade as a breakout trade in the event. All right, time for the final call. The last word from the options pits, Carter Worth. Four brothers, so bad it's good. Looking for a move to 41, 10% plus. I think you can use call, call spreads in Toll Brothers to make that play. And if you're inclined to make a modestly short bet in Tesla, one by two put spreads are the way to do it. Dan? Yeah, and I want to actually expand on that Tesla comment. If you're long Tesla and you actually think it could be a rocky summer after a long rally, it could be a good hedge against your long. Right. Looks like our time has expired. I'm Melissa Lee. Check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. Meantime, Mad Money starts right now.